Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic Wheel's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And uh, our other colleague, uh, Heidi McDonald, uh, editor-in-chief of The Beat and also uh, Graphic Novels Reviews, editor of Publishers Weekly, is not in the office this week. All right. Uh, and don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on social media, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. Okay, this week on More to Come, Karen Berger returns. Uh, Comics Pro, the annual Comics Retail Association meeting, uh, was this, um, this month. Uh, in Memphis and Cuban comics. That's right, folks. I've been in Cuba. So, uh, and we'll get to that shortly after that, the brief. So right now, Karen Berger, former, um, executive editor of vertigo comics, uh, pioneering graphic novel editor. She's back in the game. Yeah. And it's not just that she was the head vertigo editor, dear listeners. She created vertigo as we know it. Yes. Um, and she was basically the mind behind Vertigo and created the golden age of Vertigo and Sandman and all of this was yeah. mm-hmm. her baby. Um, and so she, after a few years of being a little bit dormant in the industry, a little low profile, uh, Karen Berger is back with Berger Books yes. and mm-hmm. imprint of Dark Horse. <laughs> yeah, so she, she will... Uh, be overseeing Burger Books. Uh, they have not released any details about it. She also received a sort of the Retail's Appreciation Award at Comics Pro. So this kind of is a segue into our Comics Pro segment, too. So she got a, an award there. But as part of this award, they announced that she's going to be launching this new imprinted Dark Horse. She's going to edit it from her New York City um, home. Uh, Dark Horse is in, on the West Coast. Um, and uh, the books will be distributed, as all Dark Horse books are, by Penguin Random House Publisher Service. Services. So, um, once again, they haven't announced any creative teams or titles. That is to come. Um, but as far as I can tell, uh, it's going to be indie creator-owned stuff? Yes, that's absolutely right. Uh, and it will be uh, uh, periodicals and graphic novels. So, it's really great uh, to see her back in the game. Actually, uh, she's, she turns up for here and there over the last... I think she, re- I think she left D.C. in 2013... Um, she was invited to leave. Well, yes, she was. I mean, well, at the, look, she left at the end of a of really a big reorganization at yeah. DC that started when the studios basically took control. Paul Levitz left as head of DC Comics. Diane Nelson was uh, was uh, put there to run DC Entertainment, I should say. Um, and it we was kind of figured it was only a matter of time before she stepped down. It was the um, end of an era. Yes, absolutely. And and, and just as uh, as Kate said, I mean, really, um, uh, Karen really gets credit and should get credit for you know creating uh, creating an atmosphere, a publishing atmosphere at a comics imprint for a major house that was very different from what had come before. She was publishing all kinds of non superhero genre works from uh from thrillers and crime to paranormal to fantasy uh it's it it really was a preview of the kind of genre diversity um beyond superhero comics that we're seeing in the comics industry today right but it wasn't just a random grab bag like you might see an image of whatever an indie creator created that's good uh vertigo had a very curated sensibility and style 
And in the golden age of Vertigo, when you picked up a Vertigo book, you knew what yes, you were getting, absolutely. kind of. And, and I mean that in a good way. Um, and uh, I really suspect and hope that she's bringing this to Dark Horse, which, um, you know, since they lost Star Wars, they they could use a boost of something to really bring their profile up. And I feel like it might be a really good fit because they do have some things that are very burger-esque there already. Yeah, I think it's a perfect fit uh, for her. I mean, I mean, Dark Horse is an independent publisher. They publish a wide variety of comics. Uh, superheroes aren't necessarily their forte, although they certainly do have some or started some or made an attempt to do some. Uh, this, I, I think you could have landed in a better place. Um, uh, I mean, Karen is really known for first publishing people like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. She has an amazing eye for talent. And Grant Morrison. Um, uh, I think she first published Garth Ennis. Yeah. I'm not mistaken. Um, that's just well, the in the bridge. United States. In yeah. the U.S. Excuse me, in the U.S. I mean, that was one of her things. It was a, the, a, a, her version of the British Invasion. She brought, she was the first to publish many of the these British superhero, oh, not super, excuse me, uh, comics writers that we celebrate today. Uh, she also published people like Brian K. Vaughn and Brian Azzarello, uh, sort of gave them a different platform for the kind of things they do. So welcome back, Karen. Uh, we can't wait to see what you plan to do. So uh, that's a perfect point to segue into Comics Pro, uh, since, in fact, Karen was honored at the Comics Pro meeting. Now, uh-huh. Comics Pro is an annual meeting. This year was in Memphis, and it's uh, usually a lot of hubbub about what's going on there. There's a, a legendary four-hour DC uh, presentation that Good God. we hear about. Yeah. But uh, we know for a fact uh, that, um, you know, there's there obviously there are, uh, you know, Diamond puts on a presentation about, you know, their results. Uh, but we know for a fact that Marvel was presenting, particularly uh, David Gabriel, uh, actually who kind of looks over their book trade sales. He's doing a presentation. Ross Ritchie from Boom was there. Uh, I think at some point there's a tour of um, the Olive Branch <laughs> Distribution Center. But I thought one of the things that did come out of Comics Pro, which I think is very interesting, uh, uh, Boom, uh, Philip Sublique, uh, 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 basically – it's a bleak, um, uh, as far as I know. <laughs> Hope I got that right, Philip. Uh, that had an interesting presentation about uh, uh, what they were doing for comics retailers. It was kind of a five-point plan. Um, one of the things that they apparently had promised last year was to cut their list, that there's too much stuff coming. So according to Philip, they did in uh, 20, 2016, they cut their list by 15%. Uh, they also, uh, he also bragged about cutting the number of variant covers. Uh, he pointed out also that they are very strong in bringing new consumers in the shop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the ways that they are offering the retailers, uh, to continue to do that is, uh, they're offering, uh, full returns on a selected number of their titles, I guess, every month. Yeah, uh, don't bury the lead. Full returnability is huge. It's very huge. And for those who may not understand it, uh, this is obviously a, a the, the normal role of business in the book trade. But in the comic shop market, most things are non-returnable, though that's changing a little bit. But this is a big move here. Um, I think one of the big things that happened about Rebirth was that they offered a number of the titles uh, yeah. with, for a certain I, amount I, of returnability. I think, I think that uh, it was all the Rebirth titles for like – 
the first month or so. Yeah, yeah. So really, uh, really, Kate's absolutely right. This is a this is a huge deal. Uh, what it does, of course, is it takes some of the risk off of the retailers, and they share it. You know, if you can't sell the issue, you can return them to the publisher. So that's coming up uh, starting in April, I understand, and it's it's for six series, I think, per month that you can – they have full returnability. You order them. If you can't sell them, you can send them back. Yeah, uh, I mean, this can this can really backfire on a publisher. Um, it can make for huge sales, but it can also make for yeah. huge returns. And there's a reason the comics industry doesn't usually do it because margins in comics are kind of thin. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and one reason why it's standard issue in the book trade and why and, – and Philip pointed this out to uh at the um the comics pro um uh, that you want to encourage retailers to take a chance on something you want them to not want to sell uh to want to sell something that maybe is a little different maybe it's unusual maybe that they're not sure people will like but hey if it, if i can return them i'm going to give it a uh, give it a chance yeah so uh i think it's a great idea and a great move by uh, by boom yeah, I, I'm kind of enjoying reading down this list of of uh, the events at Comics Pro, and wow, they feed those retailers, but good. I mean, they are bribing them with, like, food <laughs> and uh, swag. Yes, there's some good, nice pictures and... of swag I saw coming out of there, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think the other uh, nice bit of news to come out of Comics Pro was that the number of stores, they didn't give a, a precise number, but they did give a percentage increase. Uh, the number of physical stores in the direct market uh, was up 2.5%. Um, obviously, that's flat, but what we're, we're talking about is stores are not declining. 2.5% is not flat by the standards well, of something like comic shops. Well, maybe, comic well, shops are not exactly what you'd call a growth industry. Well, when I say flat, I mean they didn't go up a whole lot and it didn't go down at all. So, you know... Under 3% to me is flat, no matter what business you're in. But, you know, we, we can agree to disagree. Uh, yeah. I think it's flat. Uh, Kate says it's not. You can decide for yourself. Um, but I think it's huge, uh, yeah. both for comics shops and uh, for their uh, independent selling brothers in the book trade world. Well, the independent book trade has been doing a lot better the last year or this so. Is, absolutely. As the um, but the numbers big aren't- trades... The, Big stores uh, stagger. Yeah, absolutely. But the, but once again, the number of stores that are increasing is not tremendous. No, yeah, but sales they are within increasing. the shows, sales within the stores that do exist are increasing. They are increasing. Absolutely. But the, the number of stores themselves are not. The, what, what, the number of stores are increasing. They're just not increasing radically, and they're absolutely not declining. So the number of stores on the trade book side they are going up incrementally, um, and pretty much the same. From what I, you know, the way I interpret these numbers um, on the comics retail side, all of this is good news, people. <laughs> Independent stores in the comics world and in the book trade are continuing to grow, albeit slowly, they're still growing. So this is really good news. So yeah, whenever anyone's like, oh, the death, the death of the local comic book stores, the death of the local bookstore, um, it's not really the death of any of it. I mean, there may be a little churn wherever you live where old stores die and new stores come. But as a whole, the market's healthy. It, no, it absolutely is. And, and believe me, and I'm saying this for someone who has watched. I mean, this started about, from the book trade, this started about maybe three years ago, four mm, years ago. Sounds about right. Because up until that point, the number of independent bookstores in the country was steadily declining. 
And that has changed. We have incremental growth. It's something to be thankful for. Stores are on a strong footing. Uh, and people are seeking out independent bookstores and, and, I'm, and apparently independent comic stores as well because people want physical places nearby that they can go to and hang out <laughs> and look at the physical merchandise. Yeah, they want to check it out. And yes. nothing quite matches actually Absolutely. looking at it and deciding if you want it or Absolutely. not. And they want, to, and they want a place to take their kids that where there are books, where there's reading material. So God bless them. <laughs> All right, so uh, Comics Pro, ladies and gentlemen, and with that, shall we segue over to my trip to Cuba? All right, this is my second trip uh, to the Havana Book Fair. Uh, it's part of the U.S. Uh, publishing mission to Cuba. This is organized by um, Publishers Weekly, uh, our August magazine, and the Combined Book Exhibit, our partner in this, uh, which is a company that kind of um, works to help publishers uh, show at overseas um, mm-hmm. book fairs. Uh, we organized this. We brought down a contingent of about 30 American book publishers and book publishing professionals. Uh, we were we put on a display at um, the Havana Book Fair, the USA Pavilion, our official presence for American publishers. And we also did a day of panels. But one of the things I was able to do, two things while we were in Havana, uh, I did a um, one-on-one interview with Ted Adams, mm-hmm. who was part of the American uh, Publishing Mission. Uh, who is uh, you know, obviously Ted is the CEO and publisher of IDW Publishing, coming off a, a really big year. Uh, he's the publisher of March, the March Trilogy mm-hmm. by John Lewis, which has just done gangbusters. It's done gangbusters, um, and uh, in addition, IDW Media Holdings is also a producer of TV shows. Uh, including Winona Earp and forthcoming shows, some of which are based on their comics properties and some of which are not. So uh, it was a really great event. Uh, Ted was absolutely delighted. Uh, if you're listening, Ted, uh, it was a great trip. I'm really happy that you decided to come along. We had an, uh, a talk probably in front of, I don't know, maybe 20, 25, uh, uh, an audience of 25 uh, Cubans, um, but more, most excited. The most exciting thing about it, uh, young and some older Cuban comics creators and fans, uh, um, which I also had a chance to interview, uh, uh, which we're going to play a recording from that a little bit later in the mm-hmm. show. Uh, but Ted and I talked about everything. Uh, we talked about uh, <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, we talked a little. We had questions about that. Uh, we had questions about uh, about being published by Americans. Uh, we asked questions in return about the Cuban publishing industry. It really was a great event. And through this meeting, actually, I was able to meet uh, about four or five people that I interviewed the next day about their publishing efforts, which I'm going to tell you a little bit about also. But uh, the, the, the interview that Ted and I had was really great. He was able to talk about March. There were, there were a number of questions about <laughs> that, even though they didn't quite weren't always sure about uh, all of the details, we got a chance to fill them in on it. So the next day, I was able to quickly interview um, a gentleman, and I, and, I, and I apologize, Julio, I don't have your last name, I've forgotten, but he's a publisher of Capitan San Luis. Uh, uh, his name is Julio. He introduced me to uh, several writers and illustrators who publish uh, graphic novels for him. Um, one of them was uh, Vaima Ferdicia, who is an, uh, an illustrator. Also, Maria Esther Lemil Cadero, who also does an illustrator, 
And also a gentleman, uh, um, a senior gentleman, uh, uh, and obviously he had been writing for a number of years. I didn't know his age. He's probably, you know, my guy would say in his late 60s, maybe early 70s. Omar Felipe Maori, uh, who wrote a number of the books, or one of the books that I have here. So I'm going to give you just a quick synopsis of about uh, three titles that I picked up in Havana. Um, the first one is, yes, he wrote, actually wrote all these. The, the, the first one I'm going to talk about is, uh, the first two I'm going to talk about are really kind of standard. In Havana, what I encountered were Cubans who uh, loved their country, uh, were very often somewhat openly critical of the government, uh, uh, candidly so, uh, which did not mean that they want their government overthrown, or did it mean that they were especially interested in trashing Fidel? Well, I Some mean, may be, but these were not. Well, I mean, I think you get that the world over where people can, hey. you know, really disagree with their own government yeah. and have some serious issues with it and still not want somebody else to come exactly. in and overthrow it. Exactly. So I'll tell you. So so uh, from what I can tell, uh, and it was a language barrier, but Capitan San Luis kind of publishes a mix of nonfiction uh, and fiction. Uh, many of its books are about uh, Fidel Castro. Um, they seem to be mostly admiring uh, material. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think if you write a lot of Fidel Castro books and you live in Cuba, <laughs> you're going like, to do well. That's that's what you're. Go it's going to be admiring, or else you're not going to be publishing your Most Fidel likely, Castro yeah. in Cuba. Most likely not. But, uh, but the books uh, I found um, as far because as I don't read Spanish and I did get some help with just getting the meanings of them, uh, getting the basic stories of them. Uh, I found them very interesting, uh, particularly the first one here. I'm going to talk about uh, Tiempel de Cucuyos. Uh, pardon my pronunciation. Mm. The actual title is Time of the Fireflies: Passages of Fidel's Childhoods, and this is this is written by Omar Felipe Morari uh, and written by the uh, the two young people that I mentioned earlier. And um, it's a very interesting. It's very done in a simple style. Uh, I quite like the drawing style, but it really is a story about Fidel Castro growing up. It's about how he came uh, to become uh, leave his village and become a student and go on um, to some sort of boarding school. Uh, uh, but it's Yay. you know it's a nice looking story. Uh, the other uh, book that. Um, I picked up, and I picked up this at the Havana Book Fair. Um, it's This is called The One Who Must Live, and it's a two-part story, and it's actually Fumetti. It's a photo comic, and from what I can make out, the book is all about the CIA's war on Fidel Castro and is it their attempts to assass uh, assassinate him. So, uh, Yeah, and, they, they had some yeah. pretty wacky plans. Yes. Uh, now, the one that, that I find one of the most interesting is called Oyo's Gold. And Julio told me that... Let uh, me guess, it's not about Fidel Castro for No, it absolutely is not. And and it's very interesting looking. And it's also drawn by uh, the young man uh, that I mentioned, Weimar Fidecio. And I also rather, uh, rather like the style. It's a black and white comic. It's set in 1940s Cuba. And it's kind of... Um, I was told it's based on a famous... Uh, Cuban uh, novel uh, and it's really about Cuba in the time before the revolution it's a time of gangsters and um, uh, students in the street protesting and it was described to me as one man's hunt for a treasure that actually reveals something about his life so it's really more like an independent literary comment yeah. um, it seems really well done and 
you know, I'm going to get it translated one of these days <laughs> and find out more. I did kind of go through these with Google Translate, not the best way to do it. Uh, and just from talking with some Spanish-speaking acquaintances. So I only have a broad outline, but this is just to give you a brief look at some of the material that I brought back uh, from Havana. Um, it was a great trip. Uh, there's just something to be said for being in a beautiful place with really gracious people. That said, um, it's still a socialist dictatorship, yeah. authoritarian government. Uh, there was an incident down there that actually was very disturbing, um, a book a novel by one of the people on our committee was uh, basically confiscated, uh, really marring what was otherwise a really terrific um, uh, trip. So uh, we love our, we love going to Cuba. We love the Cuban people. We hope to go back again. Uh, the reality is that, uh, you know, Cuba has a long way to go. Uh, or put it this way, the Cuban government has, has a, a long, long way, way to go. go. Um, one thing I'd be, I think our, interest, our listeners might be interested in, um, is is what was this Cuban book fair like? Uh, it's 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 a revelation. It's wonderful. It's t- it takes place in uh, a place called La Cabana, uh, which is a giant uh, 18th century uh, fortress. Excuse me, 19th century fortress uh, built that protects the port of Havana. Um, now it was also used to hold political prisoners under Che, and apparently lots of people were executed there. Um, uh, it is now a museum. It's beautifully restored. Um, yeah, tens of thousands of people stream into it on every day. Uh, the Havana Book Fair lasts for 10 days in Havana, but then it tours so every... The, the tens of thousands of people are for the book fair. Right? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah, yes, yes, no, yes. No, it's a museum now, and it's and they use it... They, they, they use it... Uh, during the book fair, exhibitors take place all over through all of these uh, fortress... It's on the fortress walls... And on the huge courtyards, there are um, publishers, food vendors. It's, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like the Brooklyn Book Fair times 20. Um, It also, it's been 10 days in Havana, and then it spends um, the time between February and April touring the other 16 provinces of Cuba. Uh, Now, the international part of it ends after Havana, where there are about 46 different countries yeah. who are presenting. After that, it's, it's more Cuban authors uh, and Cuban books presented all around the country in cooperation with the library and the bookselling market. So um, I guess my question would be, do they have access to books at the book fair that they don't other places? In fact, they have access to books during those 10 days that they probably don't have the rest of the year. It is the time to buy books in Cuba. That's why it's completely swarming with... Uh, with people, especially parents and children. Uh, there was an enormous amount of children's books uh, at the Havana Book Fair. But there, there's books uh, of, on reading material of all kinds. And everything is for sale, except for the, the books ones. by the Americans. We brought down uh, nearly 400 titles. Uh, we can't sell them, but we put them on display and we donate them uh, to the Cuban people, uh, really to the Book Institute of Cuba, which is the government uh, agency that oversees all of Cuban book publishing. So, so does this, do they go into libraries then, or do they just? That's what of... we're told. Okay. Um, and hopefully that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're told uh, that they are donated to go to libraries uh, around the country. Um, uh, but it really is an amazing site. You, yeah, uh, there are pictures up on publishersweekly.com. 
uh, people's, I mean, you can't believe it. Now, we're told that when the thing is all done, when it's finished uh, in April, three to four million people attend some form of the show. Uh, Without a doubt, in Havana, there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that attend uh, um, the the 10 days uh, at La Cabana. So, Havana Book Fair, 2017. And I think on that note, huh? Um, we will go to the briefs. We will. Um, so Calvin, there's a brief that is near and dear to your heart. Do you want to tell us about this year's McDuffie Award? Yes. Um, uh, the Dwayne McDuffie Award, for those of you who may not know, uh, Dwayne McDuffie was a, it's kind of a brilliant African-American comics creator, animation guy, writer, uh, one of the co-founders of Milestone Media, the uh, pioneering mm-hmm. African-American uh, uh, comics uh, imprint slash partnership at DC. Um, it, he died of, suddenly of a heart attack a few years back. Very sad. Uh, this award for diversity was um, uh, founded in his honor. Uh, it's I think it's handed out. Was Is that the Long Beach Comic Con where it's, yeah. where it's handed out? And the winner this year is Ed, Ezra. Clayton uh, David. Correction uh, for my mispronunciation. The winner of uh, this year's uh, Dwayne McDuffie um, uh, Award uh, for Diversity in Graphic Novel creation is Ezra Clayton Daniels. That's Ezra Clayton Daniels. Uh, The book is called Upgrade Soul. Uh, I don't know a lot about it. It's uh, a digital comic, and it actually is very interesting in the sense that both it's an interesting story. Um, my understanding is it's a, it's a it's a science fiction story about uh, technology being invented that can upgrade people's lives, done by two sort of um, wealthy philanthropists who, who I think there are catches that you've got to, they've got to try it on them at them first. <laughs> Um, but it's also it's also done on this new digital platform called Opportune, which I don't know anything about. <laughs> so uh, go out, check it out, Google it. Um, Upgrade Soul, the um, 2017 um, Dwayne McDuffie um, Award winner. Uh, okay, so um, here is a uh, another brief. Um, so often we talk about why why is it that uh, more is not being done to capitalize upon the audiences enjoying comics-based movies. Well, it looks like DC is doing something about that. Um, they have set up a program with NCM, a company that does advertisements in movie theaters before movies, which is to say, the things that come before the trailers. Yes. Uh, which, if you're a comic book shop, DC will pay half the price of your pre-movie ad, up to a 30-second spot. And um, that's a really great deal, and that's yeah. a really good way to try to get more people into their local comic book shops and to know where their local comic book yeah. shops are. Nice way to support uh, retailers. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, speaking of the big two, uh, Marvel has decided to partner with an unlikely ally, Archie Comics. Now, you may well know Archie for their digests, to the point where sometimes I forget that they have 
anything that's not a digest. Well, uh, they do so well for Archie that it looks like Marvel wanted to get in on the business because Marvel will now be bringing out um, Marvel digests in the newsstand, in the grocery store, all that good things mm-hmm. uh, with Archie. Um, so the deal is that they're going to be coming out with four in the next year. And then they'll see how that goes. Uh, the first one's going to be Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to collect a bunch of issues uh, at a very low price point. Um, and they're small, small format, really book format things. Uh, but floppy. Arch- floppy books. They're not floppies. They're not floppy books? No, the digests are book formats. No, they're, they're like trade paperback. Okay, no, like, they're not. They're like I've, small mass uh-uh. market. Nope. I've seen those floppies. Well, they're not exactly books as you might think of them. They're made out of the same kind of floppy paper and covers that you would get in a comic book but uh they're perfect bound they're perfect bound, and they they contain an awful lot of pages at a yes. very low price yes so kate disagrees with me but that for as far as as i interpret the, the formats they're small format paperback digest archie has been publishing these for decades they make a lot of money they're extremely popular um they know how to do it, and they've got the distribution channels to yeah. really make them sales. So they're going to take care of all of the design, packaging, and distribution for this. Uh, Marvel, I'm sure, will handle all of the uh, editorial stuff. And they're, they're going to do six a year, but I think they're only starting with four. They're starting with four. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I guess the reason I would disagree on the book thing is that these are not perennials, like a graphic novel. They don't bring these out again and again. They're periodicals, but they're... Yeah. That's okay. But... Yeah. Our audience will recognize them as books. No, they won't. Yes, they will. (laughs) (laughs) And we can agree to disagree on that. We will agree to disagree on that. And one more thing. Yeah. So, uh, something that uh, may also boost sales, depending on how you look at it, is piracy. Yes, that's right. A study has just sort of caught the eye of the comics press coming out of Japan. Um looking at the effects of piracy on manga sales. And um, what makes this interesting is that it is not a, a straight-up yes or no, is it, is it bad for sales? It's bad for the sales of individual issues of ongoing manga. Um, those do drop. But what it's good for is apparently it actually has – it raises the sales – of uh, ser- manga collections from series that have ended. Um, and their theory on why is that once a series is no longer being serialized, uh, promotion just completely drops off. No ads, nothing. But that's where word of mouth comes yeah. in. And um, it I mean, looks like piracy is a part of word of mouth. Uh, yeah. Well, it's very interesting. I mean, uh, in some ways, it's related to the arguments you used to hear years ago before the manga boom started that uh, um, the scanlations, for instance, and there was evidence that this was the case, mm. were actually uh, good promotional material. I mean, actually, it actually let people know about books that were coming and they made them very much a- anticipated. However, as the, the manga boom continued, and I'd be curious to know, because I actually have met the guy who wrote this study. Yeah. Um, I'd be curious to hear what he took about the American 
you know, uh, yeah, I don't think they were looking the at mar- the. I don't think they were market. really looking at the American market at all. No, I think they're only looking straight at, up at the yeah. Japanese market because really most of the uh, the the conventional wisdom about that, in addition to you know the the general recession, was that you know a generation of kids grew up basically not buying manga, only reading them online. Print sales disappeared, uh, and any publisher now publishers always are complaining about piracy, mm. but um, more than a few publishers. Who I know originally uh, uh, had no issue at all with scanlations. By the time we got to 2008, 2009, uh, they had changed their mind dramatically. Well, I think, I personally think there were a couple of things going on in the American hmm. market, um, one of which is it went from uh, small fan scanlations to these huge aggregator yes. sites that yes. put ads on them uh, and everything. Um, and were very aggressive about pushing yeah, you know, the next thing. So and you wasn't... couldn't even tell that they were pirates. I mean, no, they looked like legitimate. And I'm, I'm sure kids had no sites. idea. Yeah. A lot of them. Yeah. Um, and also another thing going on is that uh, there was a lot less anime on television. That's a good point. You're right. And there were a lot fewer uh, bookstores and malls. Yeah. And kids going yes, to true. malls with their bookstores. That's true. Although the, the the borders hadn't crashed that but, during but, that yeah, point. Yeah, but but borders is. I was never in the mall. Borders are freestanding. Um, so what you need is, is I remember the Walden books phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. War, the Waldens Walden, had started the disappear, Waldens yeah. and the equivalent, like, mini mm-hmm. chains in sure. malls used to be a huge thing. No, you're right. And um, so you, I mean, I, I worked at a Walden. And <laughs> you would see the teenagers and 12-year-olds come in, buy a bunch of manga, they're reading it. Uh, and go. Yeah. And um, a Barnes Noble was coming to the mall, mm-hmm, and the yeah. Walden was going to shut down. Um, soon after, all the Walden shut down. But anyway, um, and you know, we said, well, you know, it's sad that we won't be here, but you guys can get your manga at Barnes and Noble. And a lot of them were like, no, it's intimidating. They were just like, it's not, it's not for like people like me. Um, and I wonder if there's an element of that that you know, it's less of an impulse buy. Yeah, well, I do think you're right. There's a there were a variety of issues that contributed. Um, yeah, to that at, at that there's, particular there's a whole, time. The whole um, the whole market uh, changed. Absolutely. I mean, some people um, blamed also just the fact that the Japanese uh, publishers really dragged their feet on getting into digital publishing, creating economical, uh, yeah, and reasonably creating reasonably priced. Digital versions of, of the comics. Yeah. The fans could get easily end up. Uh, yeah, yeah. People yeah. like their digital and they wanted their digital yeah. and it was hard to get. So they got it other ways. And to get things, they bring things to market faster. The American fan base has almost invariably want to, re- want to read what the Japanese are reading. Yeah. When it first comes out. Yeah. And because they can get their trade later. Absolutely. They want to know what's going on with their story. Um, and I think, I suspect that what's helping the American manga market now is the fact that there's a lot of these uh, same-day oh, yeah. mm-hmm. translation ebooks coming Simultaneous out. Simultaneous English-Japanese yeah. digital publishing. Yeah. Uh, you know, services like Crunchyroll mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. Places mm-hmm. where people can... Shonen Jump. The, yeah. Um, can get mm-hmm. their same-day manga fix mm-hmm. and money can still go back to the publishers. Yeah, absolutely. And their artists. And of course... They're reading, you know, they're reading what the Japanese fans are reading at the same time that they're reading it. You so know, it's a the, lot of fun. the thing is that Japanese people often speak English. And 
you know, when you're talking in your fan forum and the Japanese fan shows up and goes, you're not going to believe what happens in chapter 32. Oh, but wait, you can't read it for another year. Like There you go. So you've eliminated the annoying Japanese fan. You, you, you've limited that spoiler person. Yes, there you go. The equivalent of the Game of Thrones fan who read the books. Um, One more item we should talk about uh, on the briefs. And that's the Pin World Voices uh, Gender and Power Festival. It's going to be on May 1st. Uh, it's May 1st to May, fe- May 7th. Uh, it's got some really, uh, um, really interesting and timely comics people working in it. Um, there's going to be a panel. Um, Where is it, Calvin? Called Wonder Women. And you know what? I'm not 100% sure. It's here in New York City. I don't know the exact location of it's it. It's in New York, though. It is in New York. Just Google Pin World. Uh, Pin World Voices, this is the Gender and Power Conference from May the 7th. My apologies. I don't have the exact location. One of the things is going to be a panel, Women in Ink, and uh, we've got, will be Roz Chaz, Eliana Fink, Emily Flake, among others. Uh, there's also a panel called Transcendent Obscenity uh, with Gingora Tagame, uh, the uh, Japanese uh, uh, erotic manga artist, um, uh, Simon Hanselman from Fantagraphics, Julia Grafroyer. I'm Julia. I'm sorry. I'm sure I mangled your name. I apologize. Jennifer Camper. Also, there's a panel drawing a life uh, with graphic memoir artists like uh, uh, Sandrina Ravel, Sabrina Jones, Gabrielle Bell, Marcelino Truong, who had a, that wonderful book on um, Vietnam. Uh, and it's going to be moderated by Meg Lemke, who is the chair of the Brooklyn Book Festival Graphic Novel uh, Committee. Shout out to Meg. She's awesome and works so hard. So uh, check it out, folks. May 1st through May 7th here in New York City somewhere. <laughs> but wait, but wait, there is more to come. And I don't mean next week. We have an interview. Well, interviews, Calvin, from Cuba. Yes, uh, we have interviews from Cuba that I mentioned earlier in our segment um, with the people involved. All right, this is uh, Calvin Reed. Welcome to More to Come, uh, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. Uh, but this week we're recording live from the Havana Book Fair in Havana at La Cabana, the incredible fortress uh, um, uh, that uh, protects the, the, the Havana Harbor. I'm fortunate enough here to be surrounded by some Cuban artists, writers, and illustrators in the comics industry. And I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about themselves, and we maybe can ask a few questions. So uh, I'm first, I'm going to go ladies first. Um, tell us your name. Um, Maria Esther Lemos Cordero. Uh, and what do you do? Ah, soy historietista, escultora y fotógrafa y ahora estoy trabajando en algunas historietistas y algunos cómics personales. Okay, now I'm going to need a little translation. Can you tell me what yeah, you just said? She's yeah. an illustrator, mm-hmm. photographer, and made himself comics. Uh-huh, okay. And, and you? What's uh, your name? Uh, my name is uh, Wilmar Verdesia Fuente. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a comic artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm and write too. And a writer. Okay. And, and um, the other gentleman that was here, he, he is, he, he's a writer as well. Uh, Omar? Omar Felipe Maui. Felipe Maui. And you both have worked on a comic that we have here. Can you tell me, all of you have worked on this, yes? No, just him? Just, oh, just him. Can you tell me a little bit about it and maybe you can, uh, oh, hold on. One more person that I did not introduce, Julio. Here, yes. uh, well, I, Julio, I represent Capitan Sunrise Publishing House. Mm-hmm. I'm one other publisher of this 
uh, graphic novel. Yeah. Uh, you're the publisher of this book? Yeah. Yes, okay, yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, oh, and Omar is here now, so um, I'd just like you to tell us your name. <laughs> <laughs> Omar Felipe Mauri Sierra, uh, escritor. Yeah. And can you, you write it? Can you, yeah, could you have him just tell us me in Spanish and then maybe you can just translate for the audience. What you, what you do? What he does, yeah. He's a writer. Mm -hmm. He has a, a great kind of graphic novels uh -huh. like Tiempos de Cocuyo or Ya Golden. Yeah. Can he um, tell us a little bit about uh, both of them? The Oyago is uh, based on one of the most important Cuban novels, mm -hmm. Cecilia ah. Valdez. It's the history of a man who called Dionisio, mm -hmm. who tried to find the treasure, and in the way he finds himself. Mm -hmm. You can see in this book uh, the Cuba of the early 40s or, uh -huh. or later 30 of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. You can see the cancers, drugs, prostitutions. Also, you can find the the students fight in the streets, mm -hmm. syndicates. It's el movimiento, el movimiento obrero comunista yeah, también. The worker movement, the Cubanist mm -hmm. worker movement of Cuba. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a fresh of the, mm -hmm. of the time of the nation. Uh -huh. okay? No, uh, I really love the art style. It's really good. Is yeah, that, that you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, tell us about the other book too. Yeah. Es la infancia de Fidel. Es la infancia de Fidel y la formación de su personalidad. Can you tell me anything about comics in Cuba? I mean, um, I've only seen a little bit of sort of translated superhero comics, but these are very different. Yeah. And you published. Yeah, okay. Cuba had like a great tradition mm -hmm. of comics. Mm -hmm. Also, in the early 19s, uh, the comic in Cuba is important, mm -hmm. even centralizing. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I suppose we have great characters yes. in, the, mm -hmm. in the comics, and mm -hmm. you have to know a printing house like Gente Nueva, mm -hmm. Abril mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the Young Communist League, mm -hmm. or Paula Lazarín de Rao of the Reporter Union. Mm -hmm. They are a great guy. Mm -hmm. We also, we have. Uh, Team, we also have a TV show producer uh -huh. who produced the series about detective histories, uh -huh. and we made graphic novel about that series of TV. Uh -huh. This is the yeah. principal way of our graphic novel. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also curious. Uh, we, you know, we had a great talk yesterday with uh, Ted Adams from IDW, yeah. and you seem to be very familiar with the American. Uh, many of the American properties too. Yeah. You get, you read the American comics we here read, as well. You say, "Yo, I say Transformers, uh, Star Wars." Uh, I don't know. I know we Transformers uh, were mentioned yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Annie the Orphan. Yeah, yes, 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 sure. No, the classic uh, American comics. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. Well, look, I know you have another presentation to give, yeah. um, and uh, I really appreciate this. Uh, I've been really trying to find out more. I hope we can stay in touch. Uh, by email. I'd love to know more about Cuban comics and um, and maybe I can be of some help to you too oh, in the future. Oh, Alright, we I should stay so. in touch. Alright, okay. so I'm gonna, I'll end it here, but look, thank you so much for being on our podcast. This will, we're gonna, I, and I'll try to email you and let you know where you can you can hear it when I, when we post it. Alright, alright. Thank you. It's a pleasure to meet all of you. Thank you. Okay, okay. Well, that was great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but you know what? As always around here, there's always gonna be more. Too. Come. Come.